Welcome to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. My name is Brandon Adams, lifestyle entrepreneur and inventor, passionate about helping others with creating something great and becoming unforgettable. Each week we discuss helpful tips on becoming a successful entrepreneur and interview other entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Our goal is to help take your business and lifestyle to the next level. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brendan C. Adams, and on today's show, we have Ron Klein, who is the grandfather of possibilities. This guy is a genius. He has done a lot in his lifetime that you're going to want to listen to. I mean, just learn from everything he's done. He's created the magnetic strip on the credit card. You use your credit card every day. He created that strip on the back, the credit card validity checking system. He uh, created the MLS uh, for real estate agents for all the information. He created that. He created the voice response for the banking industry. He's done a lot of stuff with the New York Stock Exchange. The guy has done many things. And his big advice is just keep things simple. And take when you see opportunities, act on them. Be smart, daring, and different. I love this show. I, I really do. And there's one specific point where we talk about the future of devices. He said everything's going mobile to mobile. Well, in the future, what's it going to be next? And I've always talked before how there's going to be things that could be specifically even implanted into us um, for communication. But some of the things he talks about, it kind of goes back to my episode where I talked about Elon Musk and AI. And it just the guy's smart. So, uh, when he goes over this stuff, just, just listen to it. And then he, he almost didn't want to jump into it because he's afraid, uh, how other people would think about it, but great content. It's going to blow your mind. And also if you wait till the end, he actually gives his phone number out for you guys. Believe it or not, he, he gave his phone number out in the show. The only other person I know that does that is me. So cool guy, love around to death. You're going to want to hear this show. It, it, it'll blow your mind. So let's get right into it with Ron Klein. Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brennan T. Adams. And on today's show, we got a guy, a, a, a legend, we got the one and only Ron Klein. Ron, how you doing, man? Good, great. But the other thing, you already upset me. Why? You said young entrepreneurs. You categorized me. Well, oh, well, you know what? Wait a minute. I am young, young at heart. No, I'm also young because I'm just turning 81 and I claim to be dyslexic. So I'm 18. I fit right in the group. <laughs> wow. You know what? I would have never guessed it because you are a very short man and I mean, you're biking all the time, every single day and all the things that you're doing, it just blows my mind. And for anybody listening, how I met Ron is, and you heard me talk about this actually, uh, is back at the Zoic event and you saw me be hypnotized. You were there for that. Who's your daddy? Yeah. Who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually did a whole podcast show on my experience being hypnotized and how you can tap, tap into your subconscious mind which is a very powerful thing. Uh, learned all that through uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, my favorite book, by the way. But Ron and I had uh, met through that event and got talking. I got to hear everything he's doing, which blows my mind. I said, you got to come to my show. Here we are. 
I don't know, a month later. And now I'm going to have you tell your story, which there's a lot of things. I want to jump right into it. So tell me first off, Ron, how you got in to become an entrepreneur, your teenage years. Tell me where you got started and how it led you to all things you're doing. Well, I didn't have any money, so I had to make money. <laughs> I had to figure out how to do it. Uh, no, I guess as a young boy, I had a lot of artistic talents, and they encouraged me in school to study commercial art because I was really good at it, and that's what I did up until age 18. Went to school for commercial art, went to the Philadelphia Museum School, really loved that kind of thing. But I was technically oriented, too. I loved electronics. I loved widgets and gidgets. And I was born in, in the mid-30s. So it was during the war years, or the war hadn't even broken out yet. Yeah. But it was right after the Depression. And my dad was just a postal worker. My mom worked in a department store. And I had to make my own toys. And I loved making toys with masking tape. And the shirt cardboard, the cardboard that would come inside the shirts to keep them nice and stiff. I could melt, build anything, and I loved it. <laughs> However, I was a little spoiled. I did get 10 cents a week to buy little games and models. So I was rich every weekend <laughs> with the 10 cents. Um, and my grandfather, my mother's dad, he was a very famous inventor, and he was really my mentor. I loved this guy. I was like, I was like Velcro with him. And he invented the first steam propulsion boiler system for steamships to make them go. He invented the torpedo detector during the first war for uh, submarines. Wow. He, he was a diamond cutter. He was a magistrate. He invented the first pressing machines for tailors. So, and this guy was just super great. And I was with him when he passed at age 16. And I told him that, this is the guy I really want to model myself after because he just taught me so much. He even taught me how to sew. I'm great on a sewing machine. <laughs> if you ever need any uh, pants shortened or anything. I'll or, keep that in mind. Or like a butt moved over on your, on your pants. I'm super at that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was interesting how I got the name. I branded myself the grandfather of possibility. Um, I was discovered by a, a famous speaker back in the around 2000. I think 2008, and he invited me on his show. I was speaking on his show. Who was it? And then it was Willie Jolly. Okay. Willie Jolly has a, a show in uh, in Washington D.C. Yeah, great guy. And he invited me one day to meet with him in New Orleans for dinner. He said, "Ron, I want to learn all about you." Well, anyway, to make a long story short, we started talking, and his wife Dee, who's a lovely gal, she said, "Tell me about." you Ron, and your background and your parents. And I told him about my parents. And I said, but my grandfather was this famous investor or in inventor. And she said, oh, you're like kind of like your grandfather, you know, with so many possibilities. And she said, uh-oh, the grandfather of possibilities. That was it. That was it. Then I figured, you know what? Now I've really got to do something. So anyway, my story is I was drafted at age 18. Uh, taken into the Korean War. When I yep. get back from the Korean War, I really wanted to go to school and, and follow my career of engineering, science, electronics, and so on. And I was really pretty good at that. However, for some reason or other, I was always on both sides of the fence. I could talk and communicate with clients, and I could talk with the technical people. So I became the chief engineer for a very large company. And at that time, 
somebody came now here comes the story somebody came to me with a and you've heard this story before came to me with a, a, a problem where it, it involved credit card purchases yeah and the problem was they had to look at every time the merchant would want to make a sale for a credit card purchase the credit card companies would give them this big book every month of all the negative account numbers and he would have to chronologically go down that long list to see if he was okay to sell to that person. And they came to me and said, what can we do to speed this up? And I used my philosophy of simplify everything in the world. And, yeah. and what do you do to simplify? You establish what's the problem? What's the given? What's the thing? What's the issue here? And what's the solution you're looking for? Don't get caught up in the minutiae in all the middle of the journey. So I looked at it and I said, well, these, that's pretty simple. Take all those negative account numbers, put it into some kind of mass memory device, give the merchant a little keypad, connect it to the memory thing, and he keys in the account number. If it doesn't come up in the memory, the person's good to go. And that was the first point of sale. And that was back in the 1966. 1966. That was the first point of sale. And then I figured, you know what, while we're here already, Let's make the burden on the, the merchant a little bit easier. Let's put some smarts into that little piece of plastic. And right around that time, again, I told you the story, the real, real tape recorders came out. And I said, well, geez, that's a great phenomenon. If I just take a little piece of that tape, record the account number on it, paste it on the back of the credit card, and then build a little device that mimics a tape recorder and then make the user the motor. You know, he takes that little card swipes it through the little reed head like it's a tape recorder, and that was it. That was the simple challenge of how to put the magnetic strip on the back of the credit card. So when you did that, so that, that's amazing, and you patented that this idea. Right. You, you own the patent of it. Six, right. The patent, it took three years to go through because it wasn't just that simple idea. It was the whole system. It was the mechanism. I mean, it was a 35 pages of patent and drawings, and it was quite involved. So because you had you had this idea, you had it created. Now, how did you monetize off of it? So how did you, as a person that created the idea, like, do you sell this? I don't even know. Like, how, how does that work? Well, actually, what it my, that was really the start of my career in branding me as the guy who can solve any problems. Yeah. So I, I didn't get rich off of the patent, but I made tons of money when I moved on a little bit further because then I started my own company, building it. And with that, the first job I got was from a gentleman who was who had a formula and he needed a system to grow chickens to full maturity, healthy chickens in eight weeks instead of the long term maturity. And that guy's name was Frank. Yeah. Great guy. In fact, I think maybe you've had some of his chickens. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I probably have. <laughs> Frank produced chickens. Okay. Anyway, that was the first start, and then I started being – I was known as a problem solver. So the next thing was the National Board of Realtors came to me, and they had their problem of how do you, how do you have and collect information for people in real estate when they sell a house or when they list a house to make it known by all the realtors nationwide. And that's when I came up with Multiple Listing Service, MLS. So that really took me to the next level. And the company's growing and growing. And then I came up with the bank needed a way to give you account information on your bank account. And right around that time, 
I came up with the idea for synthesized voice, where you take a touchtone phone, key yep. in your account number to their central computer, and it would come back in voice. It sounded like a robot at first. Yeah. And then we synthesized it. And that was voice response. I developed that in the late 60s. And then from there on, I just really boomed with the company. I took it public. I raised some funds and then took it public. And it was a gigantic operation. And uh, the... Um, Which company was that? That was the, the technical or Technotrend? It was a technical company. It was called Technotrend, right. And um, a very large insurance company came to me and they said, geez, you've got tons of dollars because you just went public. You got all this technology. We'd like to buy your company. And that's when I said I was, you know, just reaching retirement age then. I was 34. <laughs> a great time to retire. So that lasted for about three months. Then my true career really started. I came back and said, I now want to go back to work. I'm going to surrender all my stock options to the insurance company. Set me free and let me go to work. And that's the best part of the story. So you want to take a breath and then we continue wow, on? Wow, I mean, you, you just went through some big things. I mean, the MLS, the credit card magnetic strip, and then you have uh, the voice recognition. You have all these people come to you. So did they just come to you and say, Ron, solve my problem? Well, no, not really. Uh, you know, I had to do a lot of marketing. I was on airplanes four days a week flying around. But what I, I did have great credibility because I could point to those things that I did. And I had a great understanding of being able to simplify the executive's problem. Listen, I was a good listener. I didn't just hear. I would listen, simplify it, take that back to my company and say, here's the issue. How do we solve this? And don't get caught up in all the little challenges in between. That's just the journey. Yeah. It's identifying what the problem is, coming up with what's the solution you're looking for. And I was titled as a guy that could simplify any issue, really identify it, and solve it. And I was very fair, and we were very expedient because I sure I did all the shortcoming of, well, I knew what happened to be done i would take it to my people and i had draftsmen i had engineers i had manufacturing so the company in those days software didn't exist everything was done with hardware electronics and i was really pretty sharp at that so i knew where the feet would grow from yeah well and i knew both so that was truly my entrepreneurship and you, you know the thing is too with that is you you knew that it was going to take time it does take a journey, but if you can simplify things and just know there's a solution, you can get there. A lot of people just give up. They see these little obstacles along the way and they stop. And they're like, okay, I, I give up. I'll throw the towel in. That's important that you said that because my philosophy is once you identify the given and identify the, the solution you're looking for, now you're in the journey. Well, there's all sorts of obstacles. And I classify that as, okay, I'm on the interstate. There's an accident. Okay, get off the interstate, go around it, go back someplace else. So I always looked at things as a challenge. And if you solve the challenge, there's a gift behind every challenge. There's a solution. And I, I would say that if I take a, a step and I move into a direction and it's the wrong color, paint it a different color. Okay? Don't give up. You know, you've got to have stickability, which is not stubbornness. And you've got to have flexibility. And that's the answer. Yeah. So I moved on. I moved on and, and grew the company quite large. So you, you, okay, at 34 years old, you said you had retired for three months. 
And then what I was caught all the fish in the ocean. So after that, I figured I have to go back to work. You do like to fish? I did at the time. <laughs> I had I bought myself a nice boat and I had a summer house and and I fished. And but after a while, at 34 years old, when you wake up in the morning and you see everybody else going to work and you have nothing to do, that kind of gets depressing. It's driving me nuts. And right, me nuts. And I figured that's not me. And I'm always about like, for me, I love what I do. So I don't work a day in my life. And it's always crafting your, your just mastering your craft and your passion. And when you work on that, I mean, go until you're a hundred years old and exactly. it's, it's not work. It's just I never passion. separated. I never separated work from play. Exactly. Really, it's, it's, it's very much the same, but here's what the, the point I want to cross, get across to your audience is how to recognize opportunity when it smacks you right in the face. Here's my philosophy, and you heard the three words. You've got to be smart, daring, different. Smart doesn't mean the PhD from Harvard. Smart means learn something new every day. Pay attention. Be in the present. And if you don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. Just be aware of what's going on around you and learn something new every day. Daring, that sounds difficult. Daring means don't be afraid to make a mistake. If you're not making mistakes, you're not learning anything. Don't make the same mistake twice. The last thing, and I live by this, is different. Don't try and sell an idea. Sell benefits. Sell benefits. Sell benefits, okay? If it's a benefit, it's a winner. Yeah. So you got to be daring and different. I love that, and I love the fact of benefits because I'm always saying – to my audiences, add value. I mean, value is the biggest thing. Don't think about how I'm going to make all this money. Think about how you're going to add so much value to somebody else. And if you add enough value to them, the money will come. Yeah, you don't have to worry about inventing the new wheel or, or, or some a new widget. It's just provide a benefit to something that's already out there or something new. And that works. But here's where the opportunity comes from. When I finally went back to work, and I know you've heard this story before, but this is for your audience. I finally went back to work, and I figured, okay, the only thing I can do of, do right now in a very general way is to sell other people's products until I come up with an opportunity. And I was calling a client, and while I was calling on that client, I saw a bid sheet laying on his desk from Western Union. That changed my career. And I asked him, I said, what's this bid sheet for? And that client happened to be in the communication business. It was a, a Associated Press. And they were using lots of teletype machines. They were the devices. That was email before email came, in, came out and be computerized. So I looked at it and I said, what is this? He said, well, uh, Western Union refurbishes their teletype machines and their Twix and Telex machines every week. And they put some new ones out. They, they have old parts and junk and everything. And they put this stuff up for bid every week. He said, you're welcome to it. He said, we've got more stuff than we need. I said, great. Well, I started bidding on some equipment at Western Union. What a great opportunity. Just because I picked up that bid sheet, I was bidding on used and refurbished teletype machines. And right around that time, IBM came out with PCs, yeah. and they were using the old Selectric typewriters as the I.O. device. This is before video terminals were even invented, because this was back in the mid-60s and early 70s. And they were 
they were refurbishing these teletype machines, and then companies were starting to build clone PCs similar to the IBM, but there was no devices to, to talk to them. And it ends up that teletype was the ideal device to use to talk to clone PCs. Here I was bidding on them and buying them. Took them home, started cleaning them up, oiling them, polishing them up, and selling them. So I was buying them for pennies on the dollar and selling them for a nice price out of my garage to people that wanted PCs or, you know, clone or uh, I.O. devices for their PCs. And it was going great. And that was a start of my little business. And then what happened one day was somebody came in and kind of abused the house. Uh, I don't know. Should I tell that little story? Oh, tell it all. Tell it all. Okay. I was selling these teletypes out of my garage and I was cleaning them in the basement. I had a compressor to blow them off. I had some mineral spirits. I had uh, hot water and I had everything to, to make them refurbished again. And it was stinking up the house because the smell of the mineral spirits was going through the heat vents and driving my wife nuts. <laughs> but tolerate. And here I was selling a teletype one day in my garage. And the gentleman said, excuse me, can I use your men's room? And I said, this is my home. I don't have a men's room. We have a powder room. He said, oh, okay. He went in, did his thing, came back out. I sold him the teletype. And five minutes later, my wife came running out. And she pointed this very carefully. She said, take your teletypes, take your mineral spirit, take your compressor, and go find yourself an office. That guy had a lousy aim. So <laughs> with that, that was the start of a new office, and I'm in the little teletype business. And that was great. Then, and this was all that opportunity because I, I found that bid sheet on somebody's desk. Then I got a call from Western Union saying, we're going out of the teletype business and we're going to go in the satellite business. Would you be interested in acquiring all of our surplus teletypes? And I said, sure. So for pennies on the dollar, I purchased 12,000 of their old, old junk teletype machines. And I was strange because nobody else bid on them. Just me. I bid pennies on them. And I figured, what the heck's going on here? Well, 4,000 were in a warehouse 60 miles from my home. And then I discovered the other 8,000 were all over the country. Oh. And they said, Ron, you understand you've got to take possession of these in 30 days. Now, these machines weighed hundreds of pounds each. They were built back in the 50s, used on battleships. Old, old machines, keyboards, printers, electronics. And I figured, now what the heck do I do? 8,000 machines, how am I going to take delivery of these? I don't want them. So I called the junk man. The junk man looked them, looked them over, looked in the bottom of the machines inside the cabinet, and they were very rich in old electronics. When they would make electronics on printed circuit cards, where they would have resistors and capacitors and tran uh, transistors, and the traces, the connections, were gold. They were gold-printed gold, -printed gold uh, connections because... They were used on the battleships. They didn't want it to rust, and that was good conductivity. And gold was cheap back in the early 70s. Yeah. And he said, let's take all these electronic boards, submerge them into a cyanide bath. It extracts the gold salts, comes to the top. We skim it off, do an assay, and we'll split the profits on the gold. We were fat. We split it with the, with the junk dealer. I made more money on that because gold went from $35 an ounce that year 
$800 an ounce. You've got to be kidding me. An opportunity just because I read a bid sheet on the guy's desk, okay? Here I am at Western Union. But, however, Brandon, now I had 8,000 pieces of junk all over the country, Chicago, California, Texas. But they only had keyboards and printers and no electronics. So I called the junk dealer back. And this junk dealer said, okay, let's see what we have. And it ended up that the cabinets, the steel cabinets they were made in, because they were used on the battleships, they didn't want them to rust, they were loaded with chromium. And right around that time, in the mid-70s, Toyota was introducing their model, their cars, to the U.S. They had a rust problem because they didn't have enough chromium in the steel. I gave them all that stuff. They took it off my hands. Now I was free with 4,000 teletypes in a warehouse close to me. And I was in the teletype business, parts and, and devices. So all because paid attention. One, one person's, what's all saying? One person's junk is the other person's treasure? Exactly. Then my career really started. And here's the best part it, of the story. It's after all that, it finally started after that. It finally started. About three months later, after I cleaned up this whole deal, I got a call from the New York Stock Exchange. And I figured, wow. What do they want? They called me and said, we called Western Union because we're expanding our trading floor operation in the mid-70s. And Western Union had 273 special teletype machines that would mount on the wall. And we used them as increase stations. And they said, we sold them to a little company in New Jersey, bup, 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 and my, my company. And they said, are you interested? And I said, absolutely. I went to the New York Stock Exchange. I gave them a full payout lease, really cheap, for two years where they would own the machines instead of renting them from AT&T, and they loved it. And I said, but now I need a maintenance contract for the life of the machines to maintain them on the trading floor. And they said, absolutely. Now here I am. Every day, I hired a technician on the New York Stock Exchange trading floor taking care of these 273 machines running around, and every time one would fail... We would replace it. I'd take it back to my little shop in New Jersey, fix it, and take it back to the trading floor. What a tremendous opportunity. What kind of opportunity was it? Here's an old institution that's been trading for hundreds and hundreds of years, not even automated yet. They would have paper on the floor up to your knees with little stubs of pieces of paper that they used for Mark Sense cards and pieces of orders. Yeah. And figured, wow, I'm here. I'm technically oriented. Let me look at this thing and make suggestions. And they thought I was a hero because here I came with 273 machines. They thought I was like IBM. And I started inventing things for them to help uh, stimulate the process. I came up with program trading and some other things. And I was doing great. My business was building. Then in 1983, I recognized that the New York Stock Exchange does two things. They sell stocks. Equity, they trade equity and they trade fixed income, which is the corporate listed bonds. I went on the bond trading floor and I saw that it was still an auction market. People were throwing their hands up and down. They were on the telephones. And I figured, what's going on here? I said, why don't you automate this? You automated the stock. You automated the equity market. Why didn't you automate the bond market? And they said, oh, they've been doing it like this for 200 and some odd years. They're not going to change. And I said, if I can build a little system that would simplify it and let them trade at their desks and Wall Street offices, would you give me an exclusive license to, 
disseminate that information. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll do that, but it'll never work. I said, okay. okay. I built a little filter box, a little filter box that would connect to their main line, and that little filter box would only take the bonds out, and I would run that to their office, and they could trade their bonds. So I started calling all the bond traders every morning. They would hang up on me. If I wasn't buying or selling a bond in five seconds, they say, who the hell are you? We don't talk to salesmen. Clunk. I figured, oh, great. I built this little filter thing with a video terminal. How the hell am I going to sell it? So I made friends with the leading bond trader on Wall Street with the largest Wall Street company. And I said, I'm going to give you something for 30 days free of charge. I'll run a telephone line into your office. You can have this box. And you don't even need your traders on the bond trading floor. You can trade right at your desk looking at your video terminal. He said, great. He started using it. His phone rang off the hook. All the guys in the auction market on the bond trading floor are calling him and saying, hey, Joe, we can't even buy a bond. You keep topping every bond. What the heck's going on? He says, oh, you need one of those little Ron Klein boxes. They said, what the heck is a Ron Klein box? Well, here it is. Now, you ready, audience? They all came to me within three months, within 90 days. I couldn't fill enough orders. There were thousands of these traders that needed the box. And I said, okay, these were fat times on Wall Street. You've got to join my bond club to get onto the service. That's $10,000 every user. And they said, mm, okay, we can make that in a week. I said, great. I said, but now you have to buy this little box and video terminal so that you can trade at your desk. And they said, oh, oh no, we don't buy anything on, on, on Wall Street. We don't buy a thing. We only rent equipment. And I figured, okay. I said, it cost me $100 to build. How's $300 a month? And they said, fantastic. <laughs> it lasted, you ready, Brendan? It lasted a quarter of a century. <laughs> now, the point that I'm making, how did it all start? I was a salesman reading a bid sheet on a guy's desk for Western Union. You know, uh, it goes on and on and on. You know, I went to the, the New York Stock Exchange, the Amex, the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, the Comex, and so on and so forth. And it grew astronomically. What I love about that is you always catered to the person because, I mean, the customer, you got to listen to the customer. You listen to them. And they may have not wanted one thing, but you gave them what they did want. And it provided benefit. I took them off the floor with a slow process, and the, the market increased many, many fold because it was automated. And I just simplified it. I, I mean, it wasn't magical. It was just taking that main line, pulling off the bonds, filtering just the bond information, and giving it to them on their desk. And they could type into their little filter box only the bonds of interest. They could trade them. And, Pretty simple. And one of your ideas, I mean, you started by, it's so crazy how the, this all domino effect. So the one idea when you first bought the 12,000 machines and, and then from there you made money, but then also you went to another. It's going to be a parts business. I figured I'll buy all these machines and sell the parts for 50 cents on the dollar. Yeah. But it led to another opportunity, to another opportunity, and then to a really big opportunity. Right. So success breeds success. And like I said, the domino effect, but you go with something, stick with it. Eventually, you're going to find something that is really big. Yep. And so you found that, it. it kept me off the streets for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so what I what would be your, your learning 
through everything you've done, I mean, you've been in a lot of crazy roller coaster rides, successes, and experiences. What would be some big things you learned in the journey? What, what are some things you learned that you could uh, share with the audience that are just getting started as an entrepreneur that could help them out? Pay attention to everything that's going on around you and try to learn something new every day. Even if it doesn't seem to be related to anything that you have of interest, learn. Knowledge is power. And if you have knowledge and power, you're going to be successful. And have that can-do attitude. It is. It's a can-do attitude. And for inventors, I mean, you're, you've invented many things. I, I invented a product back, back in the day. I mean, I know the process. What would you say to somebody that's inventing an idea, they got an idea, trying to come up with the right idea, or where to even start? Intellectual property doesn't necessarily mean it's something that has to be patented. Intellectual property is something proprietary to you. It can be monetized, and most important, it provides a benefit. Remember, you don't sell ideas, you sell benefits. If it provides a benefit, it's worth going forward with it and determining what you can do. Uh, and I love that. I love the whole benefit thing because I'm all about the value. And if you can provide something that somebody values, they're going to give you money in return because it helps them out as well. Right. And it doesn't even have to be a widget. It could be a service. It could be anything. It could be something that already exists, but you enhance it and make it better. Or you provide something that's... I mean, that's what's happening now with all these apps. People are taking services that are needed, putting them into a computer and an app, and enhancing that and providing a new benefit and value. That's a good topic to go off of. So I, I want to hear your thoughts or insight. Where do you see the future of technology going? I mean, we're at a very a, a time where things are changing very rapidly. Where do you see our technology going, the next big things that are going to come? Totally mobile. You know, and it's so interesting the, the cell phone was invented back in 1973 by my friend Marty Cooper. And the cell phone, if you understand what it is, it's nothing but a two-way radio. It's a two-way radio that's called full duplex. And what full duplex means is you can talk and listen at the same time, just like your landline phone at home. If you want to be rude, you can talk on top of somebody. That's called full duplex. So the cell phone is nothing but a two-way radio. And when it first started out, it used, it, it provides power. And the power, in fact, when it first came out, it provided three watts of power. And that three watts had a range of about 35 miles to the closest tower. And they, they didn't have that many towers back when it first came out. So you had to be within 35 miles of a tower for it to relay to another tower. And then as the use of the cell phone grew, they put up more towers so it had better range. As it had better range, now they did away with the three watts of power, which was a little suitcase with batteries in it and so on. We had to hook it up in your car and, and provide it with an antenna in your car with power. Then they came out with a little cell phone and an antenna. You'd pull the antenna out, and that was enough where you could – then it only has 100 milliwatts of power. So it's still a two-way radio with an antenna talking to the closest tower. Then it became even more perfected because now they came and put a thing in your house called a router. And the router is a little thing with an antenna on it. So the phone in your hand 
talks to the closest router. That router talks to the tower. So now, again, it's a two-way radio. Then brilliant engineers said, while we have this two-way radio, let's put a little computer in it and make it intelligent. So now it's an intelligent. In fact, they even call it a smart cell phone. Okay. Yeah. So now it's a smart cell phone that can do all kinds of computer things and they put more memory into it, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm giving you the evolution of how this device that's controlling our life of communications grew and it's going to continue to grow. And that's where I wondered. So this right here, this iPhone, where do we, what's, what is it going to be five years from now or 10 years from now? Is it even going to be something we have that we hold in our hand? Is it going to be something that's implanted? Is it going to be something uh, they say for maybe it's Google where you have the eyeglass where you can see things? I mean, we're getting so developed at exponential rate. It blows my mind. What do you think it'll be? I have lots of thoughts. but I want to of- hear your thoughts because, you know, I want to um, deep on this. On Elon Musk talked about AI and artificial intelligence and the neural uh, phase. I mean, all these different things. And, I mean, these are just thoughts. And I, I stated very far into thought about different things. So what, what would be some of your just thoughts? Well, I hate to throw these thoughts out because people say, you know, this is the guy that invented the magnetic strip and a credit card. He said, but think about this. What is the most complicated machine in the world? The most complicated, involved, just so scientific. I mean, there's nothing. The human like being. Ah, you hit it. Exactly. Now, if I tell you that energy cannot be created or destroyed, because that was, a, that was part of physics years ago, the words that we're speaking now, they're, not being, dissem- they're being disseminated but not destroyed. If we could have a device that could pick that energy up later and pick up this minute energy, it could be duplicated. For instance, the words that George Washington said years ago, that was energy. It came out of his mouth. He created energy in another form. It's still out there. All we have to do is detect it, pick it up, which means that you can disseminate energy from your body in many different ways to devices that doesn't necessarily have to be a cell phone. It could be other devices. And I won't mention the kind of device I think of, but you have the ability to generate um, energy. And we can put men on the moon. So can't you believe that we can detect that minute energy at any point and filter it and and discriminate it and so on and so forth? So I'm going in a very roundabout way you're carrying probably one of the most uh, incredible devices around with you, and that's you and your body. It's electrical, it's chemical, it's energy generating, it does every function, and you've got it. And that was exactly what I was expecting and hoping here from you, because that's my past episode talked about that, because we are are a system. I mean, we're more complex than anything, because we created this. But we're exactly. energy, and it is cool. It's crazy, and it's awesome. Exciting to think where we're going to be five years from now, and what we're going to have, and how it's going to change everything. Um, well, and we can integrate that energy with other little external devices that can compute quite rapidly, chips, and so on and so forth, so that 
if we energize those, it could be ancillary functions remote from our body that support our needs and technology. Exactly. I, I, a couple more questions. I know you got to go here quick. Uh, I, I wanted to go back because I know you said this on the show um, <clears throat> with the credit card. Uh, do you think what will be our currency in the future? I mean, are we going to completely wipe out the credit card system at all? Uh, do, will there even be a, will there be a time where we see where there's no paper money? I mean, what do what do you think it'll go with our currency? Well, just think about what we had years ago when we looked at a bill. It was called a silver certificate. Okay, that silver certificate said that if you would take that bill here in the United States and surrender it to the government. They would give you a dollar, two dollars, five dollars worth of silver for that silver certificate. Now, when you pull a wallet, a dollar out of your wallet, it doesn't say silver certificate anymore. It says Federal Reserve note. It's a loan. Okay, so I think we might go back more so to a, a very sophisticated bartering system <laughs> between the currency. Okay. Yeah, I just had one of the moments of like, ha, ah, because I mean, especially my generation, I've I've been finding out a lot lately, the whole bartering aspect, um, on things. I mean, it makes yeah. us more diversified because now, for me to barter with you, if I'm interesting to you, and I have and I possess certain attributes that you would like, and vice versa, now we have something to trade. Why do we need something in between to muddy it up? That's that's perfect. Uh, that it's so true. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, man, I I'm so uh, glad you came on the show. Uh, any any last uh, words of advice to anybody out there that wants to do big things, or what what can you just tell them uh, to leave them with? Uh, for anything? well, something that they'll remember: keep it simple and be smart, daring, and different. That. That's good stuff. And thank you again. I mean, I'm excited to go on the mastermind with you. I know we're going to be doing that later this year. Um, you're always fun to be around. You have great advice and you're fun, uh, interesting. Maybe I won't get hypnotized in front of you again because that was a little crazy. <laughs> but, uh, who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> who's your daddy? So if anybody wants to find. You know what? If somebody would be interested or they want to speak with me, I'm going to give you my cell number. And my website. How's that? Oh wow! Well, I wasn't even going to ask for that, but if give it away, well, if I can help some people, I would love it. So my website is the number four, ronkline.com. That's R-O-N-K-L-E-I-N.com. So it's the number four, ronkline.com. That's my website, and my phone. Are you ready? I'm now ready. it's going to ring. Okay, nine four one. Three seven four five seven three nine. Wow. Well, you know what? The only other person I know that does on podcast shows is me. <laughs> so we got Where? something in common. <laughs> Put this out there. I want to be famous. <laughs> I'll, I'll make you famous. We'll bring you on my TV show. <laughs> okay, you got it. <laughs> well, Thanks, Richard. Hey, thank you again soon. Yeah, thank you, bud. You have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the show with Ron. 
so many things to learn there. A lot of opportunities out there. You just got to take them. He clearly has taken them in life, and it's got him a long ways. And if you want to contact him, go to www.4ronkline.com. It's the number four, R-O-N-K-L-E-I-N.com. And what do you know? It gives you his cell phone number, 941-374-5739. I thought I was special for having that. Now you all have it. Uh, but just a great person. I'm, I'm actually going to be doing a mastermind with him later this year with Kevin Harrington, and Forbes Riley, and just to be around him. He's very a young soul. The guy has so much energy and just always giving a lot of great advice. And I'd highly suggest if you uh, want to ask him anything, just reach out to him. If you want him to go speak, he'll speak at your event as well. Ryan is just amazing individual and uh, I'm very happy for his success and everything he's doing. It is uh it's Father's Day weekend. I want to wish you all and fathers out there happy Father's Day. I was hoping to get my father on the show before Father's Day didn't work out, but I will, I promise. I already told my dad. He laughed. He's he, he doesn't know what to think about it, but I'm going to be interviewing him here the next couple weeks and there's going to be some cool things, some things you learn from my mentor. Uh, the guy I do everything because I do the things I do. I look up to him, but uh, I'll have him on the show in the coming weeks. So, well, that is it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. And in the meantime, go out there, create something great and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Brennan G. Adams. Have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.